G'day everybody and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I am Sean Coates and thank you so much for listening in today. I'm finally back in Melbourne, back from the hustle and bustle of the harbour city of Sydney for the Sydney International, you know, just the Sydney Film Festival, even though there are international movies shown, they don't call it the Sydney International Film Festival for some stupid reason like they do here in Melbourne. But anyway, back in Melbourne, back in the better city and back with an old favourite and a really new guest who is ironically from Sydney. So first up, first guest, returning guest, you know him, you love him. He's pretty much the co-host of this show. It's Eric Tisher. Yep. Glad to be here on a, all here on uh, as always. And re- new guest, uh, someone who uh, is another person who Eric uh, has dragged onto the podcast. Hopefully, this guy will. This be guy al- has more to. Yeah, this say guy has a lot more to say. Guest. He's all the way from Sydney. Anton Chen, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much, Sean, and thank you very much, Eric, for having me. No worries. So, I've as as I've said, I've just I'm back from Sydney, um, from the Sydney Film Festival. Uh, and if you haven't listened to my previous episode with a uh, creator of the YouTube channel, uh, Roll Credits Adele Drover, please go back and listen to that. Uh, no offence to Eric, who has been on a majority of my episodes. I think it's probably the best episode I've done to date. Sean, sure, I've been on like almost half <laughs> the episodes here. Yeah, well, he, he, this is our plan for today. we gotta make, we got to make that episode better, okay? Yeah, well, That's, well, let's see if we can top that. We can. I reckon we can. I trust we can. I reckon we can. But today, so we're going to get into... I'm, well, I'm going to get into all of the films that I... Had thought that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival that I didn't talk about with Adele because I hadn't seen them when I, once I did that recording. Which is a majority of them. Which were yeah, it was nine of the thirteen that I saw. Yeah, I saw thirteen films in five days up at the Sydney Film Festival, and by the end of it, I was pretty exhausted. I wanted to take a bit of a break from movies for a while, but then two really really interesting movies came out and in, in, like got national releases and. I had to go see them, and that's what we're going to be talking about. So we'll start mm. off with uh, the long-awaited follow-up uh, from the Pixar film, The Incredibles, The Incredibles 2. So now we've all seen this. Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, what do we all think? Eric, we'll start with you. I mean, I didn't expect the film to be great. We didn't get something that was terrible. So uh, in terms of uh, other Pixar sequels, it seems to be more competent than the others. Yeah. I was still, although not impressed, and I... You know, if you had high expectations for this sequel, you may be a bit disappointed. Yeah, I, I think. So. I mean, I don't know. I was. I'm not a huge fan of Incredibles, uh, so I didn't really care much for the sequel. So I, di- I wouldn't mm. have cared if it existed or if it didn't exist. But I ended up watching it anyway, and uh, found it mildly entertaining. Mm. Uh, how did either of you, Anton or Eric, did either of you rewatch the Incredibles before going to see Incredibles Two? Unfortunately, not. But I actually saw a bit of footage of the old animation, and it doesn't seem to uh, doesn't seem to hold up. Unfortunately, no, although it doesn't. I, although um, I'm just from memory, I would expect the filmmaking to be much better overall. Mm, that, that's despite a, the age. Uh, what did you, Anton? Did you rewatch the first? No, Incredibles? I didn't rewatch the Incredibles. So I tried to go into The Incredibles 2 with my fragmented memory of the first, mm. uh, which sort of works, I guess. Yeah, it works because I, I wouldn't consider this a spoiler, but it, th- this film oh. starts almost exactly where the yeah. first one finishes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I kind of liked. But I then didn't like that because you can hear the age in 
the yeah, actor's I, voices. I have, it, just, it was. It seemed like a very strange choice to me. That didn't bother me, but then I've been think, I've been seeing a lot of people talking about this as well because it's like straight afterwards, and there hasn't been that much passage of time. Is that the characters have trained changed so much yeah. in such little time, which I can see, but it didn't really bother me that much. Well, I didn't really care that much. I just wanted to see uh, entertaining set pieces mm. and got a fair bit of those. Oh, yeah. This is... I'd be disappointed I didn't get to see Underminer at the end because... Yeah, what was up with that? I thought... He, like, I mean, spoilers. Un- Underminer escapes at the beginning of the film. Mm. Oh, save it for the third one. <laughs> save it for the third one. Well, well, didn't they have a video game with the Underminer? I think there was an Incredibles video game where the Underminer was the villain. I'm not sure... I, I can remember playing a console game that was just a simple uh, just uh, the video movie, game movie, movie tie-in. Uh, tie-in. Yeah, I believe that actually was. So, um, Anton, do you want to talk about like um, what you liked about the film? Just while I try and because it, it's really bugging me now because I I believe <laughs> there was a video game where the Underminer was. I wouldn't be the surprised villain. if it was just Incredibles the game, but they put Underminer on the fucking front cover. Yeah, probably just to mislead people. But it, I, I, I guess it's good that the film sort of carried over uh, the playfulness of Brad Bird's Incredible, the, the original the, Incredi- in the Incredibles into this film. And uh, the, the characters we love return in big and small parts in The Incredibles 2, which was a welcoming sign uh, since sometimes for the Pixar studio, they would want to reduce favorite characters or fans to bit roles or remove those characters completely and introduce unnecessary characters. Uh, it was fortunate that The Incredibles 2 didn't go down that route. Mm, I completely agree. And I've just had a look. I was right. The Incredibles Rise of the Underminer came out in 2005. It was a video game and it was an alternative sequel to the film as told by Wik- Wikipedia. came out on PlayStation 2, GameCube and the original Xbox. And PC and Game Boy. I never played Fair it, enough. but I knew it was real. I knew. I, well, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, uh, you just just get all these video game tie-ins, uh, ones that are related to films, ones that aren't related. Mm. And Eric mentioned earlier that uh, the uh, like seeing some of the clips from the original Incredibles and how some of the animation really didn't hold up that well. But in this, the animation has improved significantly. Like you can oh, see, definitely. looking you at like the, looking at the, the characters, like costumes and like you know just their clothing and their mm. hair. Like so much effort has gone into that. Like you can see the you can see the oh, I mean, fibers. You, in, you can see like, the fibers in the clothing. You could see uh, leathery clothing reflecting light and etc. Mm. Showing like the texture of the uh, clothing. So yes, the the animation is of a high standard as you would expect from a company like Pixar. At least they usually always uh, deliver on competent um, animation. Mm. Although, I, I mean, um, in terms of uh, writing and other aspects, directing, uh, this this film I found to be really easy to predict. Yep. Definitely. Absolutely. Like, as soon as you see the certain character, a certain character pop up, you're yeah. like, yep, you're the villain. I can, well, I can predict this right now. You are the villain. It's very interesting because I... I, I think that they try to do a mislead because you see a character that's like, hmm, I got plans for the Incredibles, right? Um, so that, that character ends up doing something with the Incredibles, except they release, they, they reveal another character from behind the scenes that gives very obvious implications that they're yeah. 
You're one behind everything. See, I thought they 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 were tr- they could have done something like that, like because the the screen slaver is the villain in this oh. one who yeah controls people i find it by a very the, cute name the screen yeah slaver. but yeah and they're controlling pete like the idea of the screen slaver because you think that 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 it's just it's a fake out there's a fake out with elastigirl tries to find the screen slaver mm. and uh yeah it turns out that it's not really the person they're being mind controlled with these weird goggles with screens inside them or whatever mm. see the, the i thought they were going to do a mislead there where they were going to where it was going to be the character that you think it was like the character that oh, spoil. Okay, we might as well just get into spoilers here. Mm. So spoilers. I'll time code it. So yeah, the character I can't remember his name, but the one that Bob Odenkirk does the voice for, yeah, like who's like this big businessman who was like yeah. obsessed with supers, wants to like you know put he them, wants to revive them. Yeah, he wants to make them like you know make them legal again. I thought they were going to do some weird misdirection there, where it that was going to be they were going to they were going to pull off the, they were going no they were going to pull off the mask and it was going to be him, but like he had the goggles on and yeah. he was being controlled like in, that in, that I think that could have been a missed opportunity though that would have well, made it a little bit more interesting and like given made made it a little bit more mysterious I think yeah but I yeah. mean it didn't really matter too much because the the dialogue of his sister who mm. is the villain mm. by uh, the way voiced by Catherine Catherine Keener who. Is now I never thought I would ever see play a villain in a movie, but now with this and Get Out, she is killing villains at the moment. Yeah, she's doing very well for herself. <laughs> um, the dialogue they give her is just stuff like, "Oh, um, uh, my my brother may be the big face of the business, but who's the brain behind the brain?" Mm. Like a lot of lines like that, and it, it just makes you think, "Oh, well, this person's almost pointing a big red neon sign saying, I'm, yeah. the, I'm the hey, I'm evil. Here. I'm the villain here.'" <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's not very it's not very subtle with the uh, hints, if you can call them that. Even. Yeah, guess not. I, I will say this. Um, and while watching this, I realized that like, because I remember I think in the late nineties or maybe in the early two thousands, uh, there were tr- there was DC or Warner Brothers were trying to get a Plastic Man movie off the ground made by the Wachowskis. Oh yeah. But now watching this, I'm like, you could never do stretch like like make a stretch armstrong movie or make like you know mr mm. fantastic you can never make that look good in cgi it only looks good in animation and that's why i think some of like the incredibles like the first one and this one has some of the most fun and like most inventive uh action sequences i've seen in a film mm, most definitely yeah i mean the, spe- the spectacle will be really hard to replicate in live action mm. like the monorail chase with mm. uh, Elastigirl on the motorcycle, and like her motorcycle can split in half, so oh, like, yeah. the body stretches <laughs> out. By the way, I think the I know animators are some of the most horny people alive, but can they just tone it down a little bit with Elastigirl? Oh, I know what you're gonna say about. Was she that busty in the original film? I, I was wondering. I think she is. She probably but, was. Yeah. Because well, Col- consist- when Colin and I came out of that film, like <laughs> he just turns around to me, he's like. Is it just me, or did 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 Alaska girl seem bustier than she did in the first film? I'm like thinking, well, we probably saw that film when we were much younger, and we probably didn't take notice to those. Well, you uh, need to get the dads. The in, you need to get the dads in the cinema somehow. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, uh, do you have anything to add, Anton, about Incredibles two? I think that's about it. Uh, I think Eric basically summarized my thoughts for the film. I mean, I don't know if it's a joke if. Uh, 
you know, a, bust, a person with busty figure, you wouldn't expect him to be very uh, flexible. But I don't yeah, know. I don't know what it's really trying to say. But I'm just like, I actually really like Elastigirl's character, though. Oh, yeah. I, I like the fact that, um, and I like Mr. Incredible's jealousy that, like, they want her over yeah, him, well, too. Yeah, well, Colin thought it was a nice role reversal for her to be the, the acting uh, hero and yeah. for Mr. Incredible to be the parent It's figure. Yeah, it's almost kind of a reversal of the first film, mm. isn't it? Yeah, indeed. So um, yeah, he he liked that aspect. I kind of liked it as well. Uh, I thought it just, uh, they had some nice little uh, moments of comedy where Mister um, Incredible is uh, really finding it hard to become a parent because mm. he's uh, so used to working an office job or just uh, fighting crime. So he's a uh, sort of uh, dealing with a whole new kettle of fish. Mm. So uh, and I really like the animation, like they, how they animated him looking like stressed and like mm. you know the bloodshot eyes and like the yeah. five o'clock shadow and everything yeah. that he's got there. It's, uh, it's yeah, I, I love the animation is definitely the highlight of this film. Mm. Yeah, and, definitely. So o- overall, overall thoughts. Did what did you think? Like just to summarize before we head on, move on to Hereditary. Oh, uh, it's it's a competent film. It's not really one that adds too much um i don't know to the incredibles franchise uh it's it's what you would expect from where they would leave uh leave off from mm. doesn't really do uh much in the way of innovation although it's fun to watch mm. i think that it's one of yeah I, I think as you mentioned it's one of the better pixar sequels mm. because i I'm on the strong belief that most Pixar films are okay at best and Cars sequels at worst. Oh, but those Cars sequels are amazing. No, Cars, Cars 3. There's a reason why it's I got... didn't even see it. <laughs> Me neither. But well, here's I the think thing. it's going to be incredible. It, but, like, a lot of them are just mediocre, like Finding Dory and, like, I'm sorry, Internet, but Toy Story 3 is one of the most overrated movies Toy of Story all time. Toy Story 3 is shit. It's, it's just flat-out shit. It, like, apart... And here's the thing that everyone always, like, you know, argues with me online about it. And I'm just like, okay, name, apart from the last 20 minutes, name one other thing that happens in Toy Story 3. Well, why, why, they can't why they, name anything. Why do they care if you disagree with them? Oh, it's just, uh, just nostalgia pandering fools. Uh, or pandered fools. Even I myself don't find Toy Story 3 to be a very strong follow-up. And liked Toy Story a lot when I was young. I saw Toy Story at least five times when I was young. I'm not hmm. joking. And I've seen... It more than five times ever since I grew up. Yeah, I think it might be the first film I ever saw. Actually, like if, I think it might be the first film I ever owned. Well, that I owned, but like, but I that I had on VHS. I think. Oh, I think really? to- Toy Story One and Toy Story Two. I think were the first films I had on VHS. And yeah, I had Woody and Buzz toys. toys as, yeah, as I'm sure most people our age did. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's understandable. Uh, mm. Toys, from even though yeah, they were based off of like they, they were based off of like really popular toys from like the fifties and sixties from when like yeah. the, the filmmakers were kids. So, in comparison to a sequel like Toy Story Three, Incredibles much far exceeds Toy Story Three in being something mm. uh, rather different in respect to uh, the narrative of the original mm. film. Like, um, you know, some might complain like, oh, it's a bit it's a bit lazy just to do a role reversal of the original film. Well, at least it didn't, like, literally rip out plot points from the, like, previous two films and just, like, make a film out of that. Like, it's just... Ugh, Toy Story 3 is just crap. Like, I just think of it as a shitter version of Toy Story 1 for the most part. I think it's the worst version of Toy Story 2. Huh? It, I think it's... Well, actually, there's a fair bit that it takes from Toy Story 2. Like, you mean the that, entire plot? 
Yeah, actually, prob pretty probably. much. Well, it seems to remind me a fair bit of Toy Story 1, because I, I, I see the, the purple bear as being, like, the, the kid who destroys the toys in, in Toy Story 1. No, the purple bear is um, Stinky Pet, the oh, Prospector. Oh, no, he's the Prospector, yeah. The one that's voiced by Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, I forgot. I mean, they even go to the extent where the prospector gets thrown out in the desert. Uh -huh. Yeah, that he, ha he has the same. He has it's the like, exact same sob story. It's literally the like. I swear they must have got that that scene from Toy Story two, and they changed the models. That's probably yep. all they did. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh well. Not so, very. Yeah. Not very memorable. Like the only yeah. things I can remember is uh, what's it, the the Ken doll. Mm. Uh, just because he was in some bizarre scenarios. Oh yeah, and I believe the Ken doll was voiced by Michael Keaton. I believe so too. Oh, that's crazy. Mm. But here's the thing, like, and I think about with this one, like, I don't want to watch Toy Story three. I, I, I have no desire to watch Toy Story three again. I have no desire to see Finding Dory ever you don't again. Need to. I mean, I, I, I think Incredibles two has some replay value though. Like, I want to see this movie again. Incredibles one and two, are, I can see why people consider them greats or being timeless. Because even though they were made back then, like, mm. even the animation is still. Yeah, Seems and they're all they're, really set, they're meant standard. to be set in like the fifties and sixties. These yeah. movies, aren't they? Like that's what I've never noticed until now. Like these movies, mm. like and then uh, going back and watching like the sets, seeing like where everything is. It's like yeah, it's there's, it's set in the sixties. Like I remember, no one pulls out a mobile phone in any of these movies. Oh, it's so. not just that, but the way that they sort of like present like the games, advertisements, mm, yeah, yeah. everything. Um, I guess you can also with the style of the cars, yeah, like with the wagons. I guess the character designs to an extent as well. Yeah, but yeah, see like. Toy Story 1 and 2, um, like, you can see those as being timeless. So, like, Toy Story 3, like, even though it may have, like, more polished animation, it, it practically looks the same as something like Incredibles 2. Uh, like, like of, of that quality. Um, so it doesn't really seem to push the bounds of animation and uh, in the bounds of storytelling either because it, it seems to derive a lot from the original two, uh, the prior two films, which is rather saddening. And uh, I don't care about all the dumb out, like uh, interpretations people make, like an allegories towards the Holocaust. Like, yeah, fuck off! <laughs> like that's bullshit. Like for which film? For Incredible? Toy, or for, Toy, no, Toy Story Three. Like I heard. Still, oh what? Yeah, they were comparing <laughs> it to like what the daycare was Auschwitz or something. Yeah, like it was Auschwitz. <laughs> I'm like you're fucking Come mental. On. You know nothing about the the, the Holocaust. On. All right, let's move on to uh, Hereditary, which Anton has not yet seen, but he really wants to see. From what I'm hearing, yes. I, I have a slight interest, yes. Okay, so and Eric has seen this. I oh, also yeah. saw this. I almost did this as a double feature with Incredibles 2, which might oh, have been really? the weirdest double feature of all time. Probably. Um, I don't know which one like which one I would have done first, I think, would have made a big difference if I was to do that. I don't know. I mean, you, you know what I think of it. I, I sort of see Heredity sort of in a strange light as it being almost a horror comedy. Okay. There are parts that I found kind of comical in a strange sense yeah i found that well uh, did but you i don't know if that was supposed to be intentionally humorous no i don't think so i don't think it was and look i like this overall i like this movie but can people just shut up about saying that this is like a modern day exorcist oh, yeah, modern and it's like it's this movie i'm no, sorry I, I understand that fear like fear is also really subjective but i didn't find this movie scary in the slightest did i find it tense yes did well, i find it unsettling yes was i scared by this movie not at all Look, like yes, fear is subjective, but this is you know this is the film that's also designed to have a narrative with it as well as the uh, scaring. On the on the on the on the scaring side, I thought it's really weak, to be honest. That's probably why I found it like laughable because mm. people were just talking about how frightening this film is. It doesn't really bring any new fears; just fears of well, 
I don't know, spoilers. I don't know if this spoils or not, but fears of the occult. Really, we're done to death, and it doesn't really do much in the way of a, a deviation in terms of what's already been done with that material. Yeah, which I is guess rather so. unfortunate. But then, like, then again, like, even though the direction's very nice, and like the director doesn't seem to do much in the way of innovating fear or scares. No. Like, like from a dramatic perspective, it's very good. Um, the way that he could uh, portray grief and uh, te- f- uh, familial tension, but um, w- when it comes to sort of showing the fear in the characters, like the characters' performances are sort of they're, they're very convincing for the most part, with the exception of the the, the male son. son. Yep, we'll, we'll son. get we'll get to him, well, but the son, uh, we'll get to him later. But I didn't see much in in the in the way of. Uh, necessarily why exactly they were scared because the because the things that are prevent uh, that were presented the scares are very cliched things mm. like they weren't i wouldn't call them jump scares but they're like the semi they're like the bait jump scares yeah. it's very weird what i liked about this film there wasn't really any jump scares though that well, that's what i appreciated about this they weren't film. jump scares like not jump scares in their traditional sense mm. like sometimes you would hear a sound that reminds a character of someone who's passed and uh you know that will indicate them to be frightened because they'll be conf- they'll be can uh presented with the news that there is the possibility of uh, supernatural uh entities um that are existing yeah i will i will say on that like because you you brought up a really good point in that um but you brought up a really good point in saying that uh, that i completely agree with and that this film works a lot better as like a family drama than it does as a horror mm. film I think, like, when it's all, like, the family family drama and, like, dealing with a death in the family, I think all that stuff is great. When it starts getting into the more supernatural and occult stuff, that's when it really started to lose yeah. me a bit. Because it's really strange. For a second, I always thought that it was going to deal with... It was going to be some f- film that was f- similar to The Babadook, where it was going to deal with some sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, fear of uh, sort of uh, looking after a child or some sort of, like... Uh, Fears mm. that a, a mother would experience subjective to uh, yeah. a mother raising a child or a father raising a child. Which I think the Babadook... Like the ba- yeah, which I think it did better. The, the Babadook did very well, but I don't think this film had really had that at all. Um, you, it was sort of leading up to that, but then it just deviates into a crazy occult territory. Yeah, I, I think... I mean, I know it sows the seeds for that in the beginning, but like still... Mm. I will say, and as I was saying, like it works a lot better as a family drama. And I also don't think this movie would have worked with a lesser actress in the lead role. Oh, and definitely. Easily the highlight of this movie. The one of the reasons why you should go see this movie is just how superb Tony Collette is mm. in this film. I mean, she's just brilliant. From I mean, this. she's so good. She, uh, she sort of makes you, in a sense, forget about a a weaker role, her, her son. Yep. So. Even when her son is presenting rather laughable crying, something that you, yeah. you can't tell is him laughing or crying or whatnot, yeah. she can still keep the uh, the intensity of the scene alive. Just on that, um, Alex Wolfe uh, from uh, <laughs> Naked Brothers Band fame on Nickelodeon, um, <laughs> uh, and also his twin brother as well, who's... I honestly still can't tell them apart. Mm. Actually, I don't think they're twins. I think one of them... They just look completely alike. I think one's a couple of years older than the other. But Alex Wolfe in this movie, you mentioned the the fake cry, fake sounding crying. It sounds like he's mocking someone crying <laughs> the entire film. It, I didn't buy it for a single 
for, for a second. And it's elements like that that make me wonder, is this supposed to be a horror comedy? Is this supposed to present like some... Is this supposed to pre- present a serious situation but show like these elements of comedy in there at the same time? Uh, although I, I don't know what the filmmaker would be saying doing that, to be honest. Uh, especially with that scene in mind. But... um. What I, what, what I do find funny is how the father reacts um, to what was happening in that particular yeah, scene. I, I guess we'll just explain what yeah, ha- the, was the, happening. The father's pretty much the straight man of this movie, mm. or like the not 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 really the skeptic. Well, he is a skeptic as well because like mm. he, he he's trying to be the rock because Tony Collette's character is really she's really just, going through some yeah, shit. Yeah, I mean she's really off the rails. You ca- you you can't really tell if she's just going mad or uh, if she is really being. Um, uh, haunted by spectral entities, mm. um, so it's it's really especially when um, I notice that one thing is that there's a lot of um, sort of miscommunication between the family family members, where uh, the the husband and the wife don't they're not they're never really honest with what they're doing. Like no. the, the the wife would go off to grief counselling, she would say that she's catching a film. Mm. So the, no one's being honest with each other. But yeah, you mentioned that, like, and uh, and we're saying like this film works a lot better as a drama than it does as a horror film. Like, I think one of the best scenes in this entire film is the very uh, awkward dinner scene. Oh where yeah. Between, I think it's the best actor because I don't think Alex Wolf is very good in this movie, but mm. I think his best acting shows in this dinner scene mm. where they're pretty much essentially having a bit of a screaming match. Yeah. But I I think it was like the best acted and like the most emotionally impactful scene of the entire film. Mm. Yeah, it was a very strong scene, I thought. Mm. And then we get towards the ending, which we're not going to spoil, but I was like, what is going on? This well, movie just got full weird. And I'm, I'm, you're going to see scenes that you'd probably see in a horror film, like, I don't know, Insidious mm. or The Conjuring, where you just see, you know, uh, possessed people do fucking stupid shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to see that in, in the end and a bunch of other it looks strange things that they pull out of nowhere. It looks like something f- like how they would act in like a paranormal activity movie, but just like kind of better shot. It just, it just seems like weird horror exploitation cliche, Yeah, the the final act. I, I guess it's best not to... There's so much we can talk about that happens mm. in the end. but it's Like, I, I want to talk... I, I just want to mention... I, I won't say... Although the all the all the occultists they they were presented in a rather laughable fashion, I must admit. Yeah, that that get like right towards the end where it gets really, really well, towards the occult stuff. That's when it's just it's that's that's when you're going to question: is this film being serious or is <laughs> it having a joke? Because you'll see like a particular person standing in a uh, dark doorway, and you'd be like, "Okay, am I supposed to laugh at this, or am I supposed to be yeah. frightened? Because this is rather ridiculous." <laughs> yeah, it seems like just for the, it, it's not that like, and people are gonna be saying, "Oh, there's this whole meaning," and they're gonna give you fucking four hundred pages on some oh, Reddit sub thread. There's gonna be about, no, on, on there's gonna be no proper reason for them to be uh, presented the way they are, other than, "Oh, well, maybe the guy was doing some research on uh, occultists, and maybe that's how they interact." You know, being pres- being uh, in that form of attire. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but o- overall, I I think I like I-, I did like it. I'm not crazy about it like the internet seems to be. Like I was, I went into this movie hoping that like the the it had been overhyped to shit, 
which I think it has been a little bit, but it's actually pretty good. Like the same way, the same thing happened with A Quiet Place, which I initially liked, but the more I think about it, the more I hate it. So I'm, I'm going to have to say I don't like this film. I actually kind of think it's shit, but there are, okay. some, there are some really good bits. There here. are, yeah. But like th- there, are, there are many elements that seem to drag it down with, uh, with it sort of turning into a more conventional film than I expected it to be, which is unfortunate. So as Sean said before, all the family drama stuff is very well done. Just the horror mm. aspect is, is rather yeah. weak. It, it, as soon as um, Anne Dowd comes in, as like this medium and like the like the person that does she run the group the grief group or she's just like a member of no, the grief group? No, she was a member of the grief. Yeah, grief when she group. comes in, I think the movie really it takes a weird it takes a massive turn. It takes a, it takes a great turn for the weird. Yeah, and well, you'd be co- that's that's probably the point where you might be thinking like, hmm, are the things that aren't being presented? Am I supposed to laugh at them or am I supposed to take them seriously? Yeah, no, but I think this is because this is um. Ari Aster, the writer-director, it's his first film, and I think it's a pretty good start. Oh, it's, a, there it's is, a good there start. Is, there's certainly room for improvement, but, like... To be honest, I don't think this guy's cut out for horror. Yeah. If this was a, a family drama, yeah, he probably would have killed it. Yeah, absolutely. He would have knocked it out of the park. And I'm not sure who the DP on this was, but this is really, really well shot, too. Oh, yeah. Like, it has the tone and atmosphere... It gets the tone and atmosphere of a horror film, right? Mm. Like, the look, it, it looks like a I horror mean, film, I, but I it's also just... Li- I also like how they, they managed to incorporate the prop of uh, the wife's work. Who oh, yeah, makes, the miniature. Yeah, she, she makes little miniature sets. And it's, it's interesting information that's, like, presented in there. Uh, like, you know, some of it's... Yeah, they kind of like use that for, like... Yeah. And also, a lot of it's, like, really nice, uh, sort of a psychological um, uh, parts of her mind, sort of sort of a mixture of like sort of fears or uh sort of like uh repressed emotions you can sort of see uh a bit of um her resentment f- towards her mother and in, in those mm. little uh reconstructed scenes yeah you can't you, you kind of learn about tony collette's character yeah, through you the learn miniatures, a lot but... through the miniatures which is quite nice and she sort of mm. just she sort of just uh unconsciously makes them yeah which is uh which is uh, also very interesting as well show that this is really stuff that she was just keeping deep down in her subconscious or unconscious. Right. Have we convinced you to watch this, Anton? Uh, perhaps it would be a good idea for Esther to look back at the films of American filmmaker Sam Raimi, who Ooh, almost yeah. single-handedly mastered the horror comedy genre, mm. a hybrid genre, uh, because hybrid genres are normally difficult to run down and master. Mm. I think this one, though, as uh, what Eric's saying here, it was kind of an unintentional comedy for him. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe that's just not great writing on Aster's part. But um, I, I don't know. It's probably a mixture of not great writing, not being able to execute the horror very well. Mm. Well, I mean, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe he can do horror. Maybe it's just occult horror. He can't like the sub the subgenre of like occult and Possibly. like demons and things like he that. He could probably do better with a straight psychological horror. Which if yeah. this deviated. Like, yeah, like like the Babadook. Yeah, like the Babadook. If this is purely psychological horror, probably it would have been much better. And, and it's sort of, at a moment, it was rather ambiguous about that. But then, you know, the film quite uh, abruptly explains that it's uh, occult. And it even, like, uh, sows seeds in the beginning, like, sort of foreshadows that there's going to be uh, mm. an occult turn. Yeah, I guess so. 
But so overall, you didn't really like it a whole lot. But Not really. It's okay. You think it's think, okay? I don't think it's terrible. Terrible. Just for, as a horror movie, it's not very strong. As a drama, it's it's good. It's quite good. So I'll say that. So would you like to see maybe like a phantom, a fa- oh, well, a phantomless edit? I guess in this case of like oh, a, definitely like where it, it, you see hereditary recut as a drama with like a lot of yeah the, like drama like that's the satanic and like horror. the. Um, you know, the, uh, I guess... If it was recut like that, then I'd probably like it much more. All right, so now let's get into uh, the Sydney Film Festival 2018. As I said at the top of the show, Anton is from Sydney, but uh, he missed it this year. Uh, no, I actually didn't oh, you miss got it. To ca- I, 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 saw, uh, I saw you were never really here at uh, the Sydney Film Festival. Oh, did it you? special screening. Yeah, so you've seen you were never really here. Uh, Eric has also seen you were never really here, yep. and... Um, well, we're gonna get. That's actually the last film I saw at the Sydney Film Festival. So we're gonna actually. We want to start off with you were never really here. It was the last film I saw at the Sydney Film Festival. But all right. Just before I get on to talking about a whole bunch of movies that neither of you guys have seen, let's start off with you were never really here. So a lot. Uh, you two are both familiar with Lynn Ramsey's work, aren't you? Oh yes. Yep. So Ratcatcher and we need to talk about Kevin or her, her only other two films. And correct? Morven Cola. And what, what? more than Cola. Oh, okay. Is that a short or is that actually a no, feature? No, that's a feature, but um, that's probably her least known film. Oh, okay. Possibly, yes, possibly. All right, so what did you guys think of You Were Never Really Here then? Well, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was uh, quite good. It's uh, it's quite different from her previous works because she never really incorporated uh, uh, action or or uh, explicit violence in her, her films. So it was uh, it was interesting to see her sort of tackle uh, that and uh, also tackle a new genre uh, crime thriller, um, mm. and I th- I think she did very well with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Mm. I thought he was a very compelling um, protagonist, and uh, it's strange to see people make comparisons to this in Taxi Driver because I I think it's just plot wise, isn't it? Just from what happens. Yeah, I, I guess, guess in a sense similar kind of stories, you know. Uh, but like the 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 causes for the the degradation in the mines are, is rather different. One one's yeah. just One. a mixture of uh, like with with taxi driver that'd be Travis Bickle. He's been in a in a foreign country for so long in combat. When he returns home, like there's been so much change, he can't really come to grips yeah. with it. This one, um, he's because Mark Joe Joaquin Phoenix's character was in. He was in the military as well. Yeah, it was in Afghanistan or like the Gulf yeah. War or somewhere like that. But but it's that's not it's like he's uh, he's sort of uh, degradation of mind isn't really caused by that. It's more caused by all the traumatic things he's seen while uh, doing his time in the military service or working with a SWAT as well. As he's, he's seen some horrific mm. things uh, while doing those jobs. Yep. In the um, previous episode, give with Adele. Adele brought up that. Um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix has kind of made a career out of mumble acting. Like he, he I, I know, I know. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's just a, a physical thing with him because he does have a cleft lip. Um, but yeah, have you ever noticed that Joaquin Phoenix mumbles like a lot of the dialogue that he has in a majority of his films? But he seems he's really, really good. Like I don't think he's has he ever been bad in a movie that you've seen. Like I think uh, he might have been. He's in... probably bad in the village. Oh, oh yeah, maybe those Shyamalan films he's probably bad in, but maybe that's that, that's. I don't think that's his fault. I think that's just a that's terrible Shyamalan. script. That's probably just a terrible script that doesn't do that. And I really like him in Gladiator as well. Yeah, well, he's good in Gladiator. A lot of people, when they're talking about good performances in Gladiator, they never seem to mention Joaquin Phoenix. At least it's always Russell Crowe. Mm. I honestly would think that. Uh, um, 
f- which Roman emperor did he play? Commodus. Uh, Commodus. Uh, yeah. Um, I thought he he did a, v- a very good um, portrayal of that emperor, and I found him to be pr- more probably more compelling than mm. uh, Russell Crowe's character. Yep. Um, I probably should also address this because I'm not sure if the mic just picked that up, but um, and, and this has also gone for pretty much most of the episodes I have done this year, I guess, except for. Uh, last episode when I was in Sydney, but I live uh, right next to a train station. So every now and then, if you hear a little in the background, that will be a train horn. So just a disclaimer, I can't edit it out. It's ridiculously hard. I'm sorry. It's pretty damn loud. It's very damn loud. You can only imagine what this place sounds like at night. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. But anyway, uh, you were never really here, though. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is great as always. Very... They're all kind of asked a lot of him. It's a quite a physical performance, and it's very different because I also saw Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. So oh. I went from watching a movie where Joaquin Phoenix was in a wheelchair to watching a movie where Joaquin was mobile. putting people in wheelchairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, that was very interesting. So a very physical role like this one. Mm. Yeah, and I think, it, like, this movie isn't... Like, the plot is not revolutionary. The plot oh, is nah. quite straightforward. I mean, the plot does get, like... You know this, you know, pull, like. But I don't really find the plot is that important. No, this because film. this is a this is a character study. Yeah. This film is a character study, absolutely about like I mean PTSD is obviously a huge like uh, mm. theme of this movie as well. And uh, is there anything you didn't really like about this? Because I've got one. I think the uh, the actress the who played the little girl. Oh yes. And I maybe it's just her character as well, but I don't think she was that great either. Well, I mean, it's understandable. I thought she was fine. She didn't really do much. Uh, really, in in terms of uh, acting, she didn't have much in the way of dialogue. Um, although it, it didn't seem to bother me because she didn't get that much in in terms of um, s- screen mm. time. So, I I would be led to believe that the actress gave the same level of performance as the actor who played Kevin in "You Were Never Really Here." Uh, in you may need to talk about Kevin. Uh, you need you mean, to talk yeah. about Kevin. Yeah, e- Ezra Miller, who, Kevin, yes. who is now the terrible Flash in the uh, <laughs> in the DC movies. Huh, right. Um, he went some... it got to start somewhere, I guess. But I guess he's, well, he, he was really good in uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin. I like hmm. how... Um, I've heard he's good in we, um, Perks of Being a Wallflower as well. Yeah, he was. I mean, I like how um, in that film he was able to manipulate the same mannerisms as uh, Tilda Swinton. Oh, okay. That was a nice thing to that, that, that see in... Um, we need to talk about Kevin. Yeah, but uh, just on this actress who I might even bring up her name, but I think she's like Russian, like she's like born, she was born in Russia or Ukraine or somewhere. So her name is uh, Ekaterina Samsonov. Uh, I'm not quite sure how old she is. I wouldn't, I, I'd say she wouldn't be older than any older than 14 or whatever. But I guess maybe it's the writing as well. But I guess I know she, th- she's her character has like grown up in this kind of world and she may be desensitized to it at this point. Yeah. But she sees someone get shot in the face right in front of her and she doesn't even react. I found that a little hard, hard to believe. Well, I don't know. In my mind, probably being, I don't know, violently raped by a bunch of uh, shady uh, business people, probably more traumatic than seeing someone's head explode. Especially how they present that uh, senator at the end. Yeah. Oh, it's very grim. Just uh, seeing just all the all the uh, what's the little girl's clothing items and the pictures yeah, and everything. Yeah. I mean, like you don't even have to. S- you know, don't even have to be presented with any like explicit, uh, um, e- like explicit action with with him uh, acting out his uh, vileness. You just just see it in the background. 
Yeah, two things. Like, because I, I initially, when I first saw this film, I was a little bit, like, kind of lukewarm on it. But I think this movie has gotten better the more I think about it. And it's mm. stayed with me a lot. And I think there's two, I think, pretty incredible scenes in this film. Uh, the kitchen scene mm. and the underwater scene, The I kitchen think. scene where uh, the two bodyguards uh, go to... Um, yeah, oh. but specifically after... Uh, slight spoilers, I guess, but after Joaquin kill like is like he kills one of the bodyguards and then he get the other one is just dying yeah. on his kitchen floor and he just spends like the entire like the he, rest he just waits until the 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 bodyguard dies and he and he doesn't even want to be saved that, either. That that entire sequence is I think is great. Oh yeah, and yeah, the underwater sequence. Look, a lot of people have said that it's quite pretentious and like it's it, it's a bit too artsy for its own oh, good. I've heard I don't know. Say. I think. I think I I thought that underwater scene was fine. To be I really honest, liked I didn't it. think it was overdone or anything. Like I don't know why people would be complaining. They might have seen similar scenes in the past. Uh, you have to remember that a similar scene was done before in Redcatcher at Ramsey's very first feature. And to me, I think those two scenes were executed in the same level of mm. technicality and complexity. So yeah. I don't see a huge. Well, issue I mean, I didn't that. have a problem with it. Like, think about this. Like, this is a very... It's almost a very bare-bones, like, simple crime thriller type yeah. of plot. Um, I, I think... Like, some people might think, oh, well, the presentation... It doesn't need to look... Uh, it doesn't need to be edited in this fashion or the mm. shots don't need to be set up in this fashion. But I think it's... I think it's rather nice. It's very stylistic of Lynn Ramsey um, having a lot of close attention to detail, to little actions mm. and little uh, uh, details in the... Um, the, in the environment. Yeah. Well, when you have a plot like this, which we've seen a hundred times yeah. before, like a simple kind of... You would want it to be presented yeah, in a rather you, interesting that, fashion. That's, that's where you want to see it. You want to see it like in the, present, in the presentation in like how the characters are fleshed out and, mm. the, you know, the visuals, the aesthetic, like all, all that stuff. The writing, mm. sound design, you know, vi well, not really visual effects for this movie because it's fairly oh, yeah. low budget. But yeah. Yeah, but... Yeah, um, I mean, I could see people having a bit of a problem with the... With the uh, visual effects or special effects or whatever but uh but then again like um plenty of low f it's just a mm. struggle with making a lo-fi film yeah do you also think i don't know if like this was the case but a lot of the blood looked like it was color corrected to be black in this film or maybe it was just like the lighting or whatever i don't know i think it would probably be more of the lighting but the 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 color of blood is usually rather dark anyways. All right. Um, anything else you want to add about you and Ever Really Here that we haven't no, mentioned yet? Do you yet? have anything else to say, Anton? And I think it's very interesting how Ramsey made the transition not only from her native country, the United Kingdom, to the U.S. in filmmaking, but also in how she approached her themes because with Redcatcher and Morven Keller, she looked at themes that would be very central to the British identity and the British working class but as she moved on to, we need to talk about Kevin and you were never really here. She started looking at global themes that mm. would affect most of us, regardless of our identities, be it American or non-American. Mm, absolutely. Mm, very, very general and overarching ideas that apply to most of us. Most definitely. Yeah, almost kind of like in the, I guess maybe not to that extent, but almost like kind of in the way that Martin McDonough did with like free billboards. Would uh, you say? Sure, in, in a sense, yeah. Yeah, in a sense, I guess. Yeah. But I guess maybe three billboards is a bit more of like an outsider's perspective on what like yeah, of that's like of like contemporary that, issues in the that's US. That's rather maybe. clear with its uh, with its execution and how people are a bit disappointed with the uh, and 
McDonough not addressing racism. And maybe just because, like, the... Because some of the characterizations in that movie are fairly, like, cartoonish and very exaggerated. Oh, definitely. And quite broad as well. Like, I think Sam, Sam Rockwell's character is very, very broad. Well, to be honest, I found a lot of humour in the way that, the, that he represented the police department. I guess it acts as a nice juxtaposition for uh, um, Sam Rockwell's uh, character development in the second half of the film. Like, you wouldn't expect him to go from being a dumb cop to being a detective. Uh, some may argue, like, oh, that doesn't redeem him for, for being a racist, but then I'd, I'd, I'd argue that the racism was an important priority of the film. It was sort of just presenting a rather uh, generalised outsider's view of how uh, America would look to possibly an Irishman who would assume mm. that the South America's predominantly racist yeah well if you let's oh. say if you were to make three billboards would you do this, this, something similar well probably a, as an australian making an, a film about you know well probably I, I found those 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 rather extreme aspects of the of the police department uh being rather simple-minded and and uh, racist to be rather humorous yeah like i if, if i were to execute i'd probably keep those elements in there to be honest i wouldn't make a race statement with three billboards mainly because like the like the film never really properly addresses some race problem it, weirdly enough with the three billboards i thought that, that like um what's a francis mcdormand setting up those three billboards that the media taking it as a race statement was just sort of like mcdormand making commentary on how people just uh, they find something that they could s s lightly connect to uh, some contemporary issue and claim it to be a political statement. Yeah, I, I can see. I, I can see where you're coming from there. Mm. But yeah, you were never really here. Uh, didn't lie. Didn't was a bit disappointed at first, but more I think about it, more I like it. Film stayed with me for quite a bit. I've been thinking about it a lot. I, I really enjoyed it. You guys mm. feel, feel the same way? Yes, no, yes. definitely. Yep. All right. And unfortunately, that is where this episode ends. After that, there was quite a few false starts. I was getting really, really tired and I couldn't really articulate what I was going to say about the films that I wanted to talk about. So instead, the rest of the films that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival, I am going to have Eric and Anton back on the show sometime this week. We're going to do a second part to this episode or just a separate episode altogether. I'm going to talk about all the other films that I saw at the Sydney Film Festival, and uh, hopefully a couple of them are out in uh, cinemas now already. Uh, Foxtrot and Disobedience are out at the moment, but Foxtrot is out, and uh, they're both very keen on seeing that, so I might wait till they uh, both see that film, and then we can uh, have something to talk about. But yeah, so that's the end of this episode. Stay tuned in the next uh, couple of weeks, in the next week or so, for the second half of the episode that we just did. And in the meantime, please follow all our social medias, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at AB Movie Podcast, follow us on Instagram at Another Bloody Movie Pod. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at SeanHub underscore, that is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore. You can follow us on SoundCloud, give this episode a like if you enjoyed it, and you can also follow us and subscribe to us on iTunes, and please leave a five-star review on iTunes, that would be very much appreciated stick around and keep your eyes peeled in the next week or so for the second half of this episode thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you later